Hi, I hope everyone had a great lunch. Yes, I see. So my name is Donna Benton, and I'm from the USC Family Caregiver Support Center. And the Caregiver Support Center has been providing kind of overall comprehensive services for family caregivers. Now, what's a family caregiver? Somebody who cares for a member of their family. Because sometimes when people hear the word caregiver, they think, oh, that's somebody who gets paid. But when I talk about caregivers, it's actually you might be caring for your husband or you might be caring for your mother or a grandparent or an adult child. So that's when when our program helps you, the family caregiver. Our program has been around for about 35 four years now, and we started, um, we're part of a statewide system of what are called caregiver resource centers throughout the state of California. Now, the caregiver resource center started because two women who were caring for their husband kept asking, you know, I'd like to be able to meet and talk to other Caregivers, other people that are caring for their their relatives, but anytime I go somewhere, all I keep hearing is information about my husband, but nobody asks how am I doing. So, right? How am I doing? And so they said they went to their legislators and they said, you know, is it possible that you we we could have a program in California that would help me as a family member get information in one place, maybe have some support groups, um, give me a break, have a way for me to get away, have a break, and have somebody that I can talk to one-on-one every once in a while when I need some help for myself and also for the person I'm caring for. So that's how the how we started 34 years ago. And they started with one program, and there are now 10 programs throughout the whole state of California So no matter where you go, there is a caregiver resource center in California. And then that program in California, by the year 2000, was replicated throughout the whole nation. So California started it, and now throughout the whole nation, there are programs similar to the caregiver resource centers. No, that's for professionals. So the, but there are programs similar to the caregiver resource centers and I can show you our brochure outside. So what does it mean that we're helping you as family caregivers when I say, you know, just, it's like a one-stop shopping center for family caregivers. And what that means is from the first time when you call, our focus is on you. And you know, that's a little different because as caregivers, you tend not to focus on yourself. You caregiver, and I keep using the word caregivers, and you never call our, us, even though we're called the Family Caregiver Support Center. You usually, caregivers don't call us because they know that they're caregivers. They call because they're calling about information for their husband who has dementia, or their wife who's had a stroke, 
or somebody who has ALS or MS or a traumatic brain injury, or maybe just because they're, they're caring for an older adult who has multiple medical problems. So they'll usually call us and say, you know, I'm caring for so-and-so, and I'd like to know how to find transportation for my loved one to get to the doctor. But when you make that call to us, you're going to be a little surprised because we're going to give you the information that you asked for, but then we're going to say, and tell me a little bit about yourself. How are you handling things day to day? And the reason we call this caregiver wellness is that we believe by focusing on you, you will then be able to better care for the person that you're so concerned about. And we tend to, when I say we, meaning caregivers, you tend to forget that if you don't care for yourself, who is going to be there in the long run to care for the person you're so worried about? One of the things I hear over and over is, oh, if something happens to me, I don't know what my husband's going to do. I don't know what will happen to my mother if I'm not there. And yet I see the caregiver not going to their doctor's appointments. You're not taking time to eat properly. You may not take time to get some rest or relaxation. You don't, you're not talking to other people. You begin to get isolated. So, and this is through no fault of your own, but it is because what happens is the reason that you do that is because you are so concerned about the other person that you tend to forget about yourself. And for those few times when you decide, oh, maybe I will do something for myself, then you start thinking, oh, but if I do that, who's going to care for my relative while I'm away? And what's going to happen? And they really only want me there. And then you may start feeling guilty if you walk away for even an hour or two and or even longer. So what I'd like today to talk with you about is why it's important for you to do certain things for yourself. And I've already given the answer is because if you don't do it, what's going to happen? They won't have anybody there with them. So it's what. Oh, of course. Yeah, it is really noisy. Thank you. Right. So they won't have anyone there. But I, I do understand why sometimes we don't take breaks for ourselves. Why don't we take breaks? Well, first of all, it means that somebody else has to come in and care for our relative. And, you know, usually with relatives, sometimes people feel very private about how they're getting cared for. And what you have to do, and you as a caregiver may be doing not just the cooking and cleaning, but maybe you're doing some very intimate things. And so it's hard to say, I want to turn that over for a little while even to someone else. And your relative may say, I don't want some stranger taking care of me. You're the only person that understands me, that loves me, that really knows all of that. And they don't mean to make you feel guilty, but they're scared too about what will this stranger be like. So sometimes we can't care for ourselves because we say we don't have anyone else to come in. And then maybe you've even asked a relative who may not be a stranger. Maybe it's, you know, your husband, your your child, adult child, can they come? And then you think, oh, well, they're busy. Or they tell you the one time you ask, oh, I'm too busy. I have other things to do. Uh, there, you may have a sibling who can't come in. And so then... 
even though you've asked other relatives, they've tried, you can't get them to kind of accommodate your schedule. And so after a while you get frustrated and you stop asking for help from friends. And because as a caregiver, you might be caring for somebody for five, six, seven years, not really sure. Do you know when you get sick at the beginning, everybody's willing to help you, right? Right in the beginning. You know, it's like those first, oh, oh, I'm so sorry to hear your mom said, call me anytime, I'll come over. And maybe during the first couple of, maybe six months, people may be willing to come in. But after that, a year in, two years in, it's like, are they still sick? What, what do you mean? You're, you're still helping that? Oh, well, you know, life has gone on for them, but not necessarily for you and the person you're caring for. So it becomes really important for us to have alternative ways to take care of ourselves because caregiving generally is not a short term. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so we have to have a different ways of coping, a different ways of conditioning and helping ourselves through this. If you plan your life as a family caregiver thinking it's a sprint, you have a certain way of handling things and taking care of yourself. We can all put our lives on hold maybe for a couple of weeks, maybe even a few months or up to six months if somebody's really critically ill. But you can't put your life on hold for years and years and years without it impacting and affecting your health, your mental and physical health. And both are important. You can't separate our mental and physical health. You might even stay healthy physically, but mentally you may begin to wear down, become more irritable. Has anybody ever gotten irritable because you're so tired? Never, never. Oh, I'm so glad there's one honest person. (laughs) Or maybe how about not sleeping as well as you'd like? And we don't sleep. And if you don't sleep, you know that you get grumpy. Everybody does. And our bodies need a certain amount of rest. Maybe you're not eating properly anymore. Maybe you're, you, you find that you can't even feel like, you can't even think of how to relax your body, how to relax your mind and take yourself away for a little while. So that's what, as caregivers, we have to focus back on wellness so that we can really pull ourselves out. So even if, as of today, you still haven't taken a break and you've been doing caregiving all of this time, it's not too late to bring yourself back and to do some a few things to help yourself get on that wellness side, to introduce back into your life what I call a little bit of joy and a little bit of relaxation. Because... After a while, you think, oh, how am I ever going to feel joyful again? And are are just less tense. It's not going to be 100%. You're not going to be 100% carefree, not worried. But you can bring it back to a little like more of a new normal where you can have periods that refresh you. Have any of you ever taken like a nap and you're always surprised at how much more energy you have, even if it's a 15, 20-minute nap, not a full eight hours, that's what you can, you don't get those nap times? Well, we're going to teach you to nap. And then you got to go to work. Well, sometimes if for naps, you can really refresh yourself in very short periods of time. So we're going to talk uh, about how to do that uh, over time. So what I'm, I'm calling this are 10 tips for caregivers. And so 
um, and I'll hand this out to you guys, but if I give it to you now, you probably won't pay attention to me. So you'll just read the paper and then, you know, what am I doing up here? So let's start with the first tip we have is seeking support from other caregivers. Why is that important? Because you won't feel as alone. When, you, when you're caring for somebody and you've been doing it many, many, many years, after a while, you, you may feel like you're the only person that's having to experience this. That, you know, your family has kind of gone away. Maybe your friends after a while don't want to talk about this anymore. But you still have a need to talk about what you experience day to day as a caregiver. So how do we find support? Well, they're, they're support groups. And that means looking for and talking to others who are doing exactly or have experienced what you've been going through. Other family caregivers. Now, how common is family caregiving? One out of every four households has a family caregiver. Everybody around you probably either knows a caregiver or is a caregiver or you will be a caregiver or you will need a caregiver. That's what Rosalind Carter said. She put people into four categories, all of them around caregiving. So when you look for a support group, I, that's usually a really a good first step to finding other people to talk to and get ideas about. You, it's always amazing when I, uh, I run a support group and somebody will say, oh, my goodness, I never thought about doing that with my mom. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'm going to try that next time, you know, when they're having a problem. Or just being able to say to somebody else, there are days when I don't want to do this. And having no one really judge you when you say that. If you said that to a relative, they may go, oh, how could you say that about your mom? Or, oh, you know, mom is just really horrible to me and I get tired. And then they go, oh, and you feel very judged. But sometimes when you're with a support group, they can just nod their head and say, yeah. Yep, we've had that feeling. And just because you have a feeling doesn't change that you, in, in your heart, are still caring and loving because feelings just are. They're normal. You can have good feelings, bad feelings. They kind of pass through, and those are normal thoughts, but it doesn't change your heart. And so it's all right to express that, and sometimes you need a safe space, and that's a support group. But we don't know where to find support groups, and then that's when I say call our center because we know where those support groups are. And you can use support groups in person because sometimes... You, I mean, that's really good to actually get out of the house and go spend an hour somewhere else. But sometimes if you really can't get out of, on a support group, there are online support groups that you can go online anytime, day or night, and talk to other people that are up at 2 in the morning when you are. And you can, you can talk back and forth. I'm saying you can. Good. You're, you're, you're getting some sleep. But for those of you that might be up, there's support groups online. There are support groups that you can call, and it's a phone support group. So we all know how to use our telephone. And then you can talk to people in a group on the phone. But it's not always easy to find those support groups. So that's why I say you can use resources like the area agencies on aging or the USC Family Caregiver Support Center, or maybe if you're dealing with someone with Alzheimer's, or I'm sure here, 
they know where there are support groups for you as a family caregiver. And the thing about support groups, what I would want you to make sure is that sometimes you go to one support group and you say, oh, I don't want to hear all those. I didn't like what those people were saying. Try at least three because every support group has a different personality, a different mix of people. So don't give up after one session. At least go three times and give yourself a chance to get to know people in a different way. Because maybe one day you went and, you, you know, there was somebody in the group or you didn't feel like talking, but there may be some other day. So at least go three times and try out three different support groups. Your church may have a support group. And because if you haven't thought of yourself as a caregiver, you may not have even started looking for a support group. But now if you keep that word caregiver in mind, you'll be able to find support groups. Sometimes they may be listed as um, talk sessions or come and relax together, or training programs. All of those are ways to find support groups. So you may not know the word support group, but it might be listed as something else. But look through your, you know, your local church, look through larger organizations. All of those, they can get you to a support group in your neighborhood. So number one is a support group for a tip. Of course, the next one is taking care of your own health so that you can be strong enough to take care of your loved one. And when we say taking care of your own health, that really is that even a little bit of exercise around the house, walking around the block. You don't have to begin doing marathons or start doing huge weight trainings, but just enough to keep your body really a little strong and flexible. Flexibility is really important as we age and particularly for our own health because flexibility also keeps you stable so that you don't fall. And so it, it, besides strength training, it also keeps you from that kind of balance problems. So what kind of things can you do that helps toward flexibility? You can walk. Yoga. Those kind of classes, they have stretch classes. And you can find... If you turn on your TV, on some of those channels that you may not think that you have, you know, like channel 53 or channel 104. So if you go to the more, not your major channels, but the other channels, where they actually have a lot of exercise things on your TV station. You can certainly find exercise programs online, little short videos where you can follow along. And so you can do that. So, all the if you have parks and rec any kind of park by you you can check to see if they have an exercise program of how they may be walking around the park my favorite one is i like um if you can find somebody else to care for your loved one early early in the morning many malls indoor malls have the early morning before the mall opens walk arounds and so then you don't have to worry about weather. And so they just have, you know, you put on your sneakers and you walk through the mall with some other people. And then guess what? You may make a friend while you're walking around. But you don't have to, but, you know, and it's free. So it's not that you have to go find a big trainer or anything, but these or join a gym even. So there are things out there that can help you physically. The other reason we have to pay attention to our physical is because if we have tension in our muscles, it also impacts our thinking. So when you're tense, 
you don't pay as much attention. And if you don't pay attention, then you can't think through problems properly. So we have to, you have to take care of your health. Of course, I don't have to tell you that it's important to at least go to your doctor once a year and just have a general physical and, you know, just kind of ch- do a regular checkup on yourself and, and make sure you don't ignore your own health problems. So number three, it is also important to accept offers of help and suggest specific things people can do to help you. Now, two things. Accept offers of help and be specific. Why do, why, why do I say it that way? Because sometimes when we're caregivers, somebody will say, call me anytime, let me know what I can do for you. And then you go, oh, I just need some help. When you just say, I just need some help, people who really want to help tell me what to do. People, When people offer to help, most of the time they really are sincere. But if you don't give people a little bit of direction, they will fade away because they don't really know what to do. And they don't want to do the wrong thing. So it's real important to say it is okay that somebody else can come in and help your relative, be it a neighbor for a little while, or maybe you pay somebody to come for a little while, or you find a a neighborhood kid, or you find another relative. But when you ask them to come, first of all, when I say accept, that means you have to accept in your head that it's okay for you to let somebody else look after your relative and remind yourself that it's true. They are not going to care for your relative the same way you would. Absolutely not. But as long as they understand that your relative, they can keep your relative safe for that time that you're gone, that is enough. You have to accept the fact that it may not be exactly the way you do it, but it's okay enough as long as you know that that person will be safe while you're gone. Because imagine like when we were growing, when you were growing up, and you're, you know, your parents sent you off to school, they trusted that the teacher in the school was going to keep you safe. They may not have, you know, like maybe the teacher didn't teach you the same way that the other people did, but I said your relative trusted. We hope to trust that they, you know, they try to keep you safe. But when you are asking for somebody to come in, you have to trust and, you know, hope that that person will keep the person you're asking to care for Keep them safe for that hour, even if they don't do things exactly the way you do. It's kind of like, you know, if, if I ask somebody to come in and clean my house, they may not clean it, you know, like like I may start in the living room, then maybe they want to start in the kitchen. And I'm like, oh, why are you starting in the kitchen? That doesn't make sense. That's okay. My kitchen gets cleaned and the living room gets cleaned. It may not be in the same order I did it. Let it go. Because what's important is that you take a break. So your goal is you are able to turn your mind off for an hour, two hours, take a break, know your relative is safe, and you get what we call respite. You have to take your time for yourself. So that's part of your wellness routine, that you're going to allow other people to come in. And you have to tell them what you want to do. If you just say, come and watch my relative, 
That's what they'll do. They'll sit there and they'll look at them. And then you come back and go, hey, why don't you do something with them? You didn't tell me what I could do. But if you say, why don't you come over and while I go away, I know he likes listening to music. Do you mind turning on some music and just humming along with them or turn on the television or walk around the house with whatever it is, be very specific. Or could you come over and cook me a meal so that I don't have to cook today? Now, there's something that most people say, oh, I can do that. You may not even have to leave the house, but imagine being at home and being served instead of you having to cook that day and do all the serving. You can ask a friend to do that, and they'll say, oh, sure, I'll come over and make a meal for you, or I'll bring you a meal. Or you can say, you know, I have to go to the store so often. Do you mind once a month when you go to the store Just call me and can I give you a list of items to pick up so that I don't have to go to the store once a month? So be very specific about what you ask somebody else to do because the way I make my list of what I can have for the future to make myself feel a little better is anytime you feel frustrated or you say to yourself, I wish, then you go and you write down the rest of that sentence. So if one day you were saying to yourself, oh, I wish somebody would just come in and just mop this floor so I don't have to do it, write that down. I wish I didn't have to make breakfast this morning. Write that down. And the next time somebody comes and said, what can I do for you? You're going to have a list this long. And then you'll just say, take your pick. Take your pick. But the reason you have to write the list every time you think it is because in the moment when somebody offers you help, you're not going to remember because you're going to be so overwhelmed. So it really is much better to have written down your I wish list. And it put anything on that list. You never know. There might be somebody who you meet or a friend or a relative who you may say, can you just call and keep the, my relative on the phone for 15 minutes? so that I can, or 30 minutes, and talk to them for 30 minutes. They go, oh, I can do that. I can talk anybody's head off. Or I can, right? And I can keep somebody, you know, give that time. So that's what you want. Or maybe there's somebody out there who can really say, you know, I don't mind paying bills, or I'll, I'll kind of add everything up for you, or I'll come over and fix your computer every three weeks or whatever it is you need. Make your list. Keep your I wish list and keep it. Just keep writing it because sometimes when someone asks you what to do, they you can be more specific about what you need. Number four is learning to communicate with your doctors. There are great classes in, out there on how to communicate with doctors, but I'll give you a few tips. First of all, before you take yourself or you're the person you're caring for to the doctor, have make a bullet list of three things that you absolutely want to ask the doctor and put it in writing. Because once you get in there, they don't have that very much time and sometimes they may start going off and you have forgotten three things that occurred a month ago or whatever time in between your visits and you need to write those down. So always have a list of at least three questions or three things or concerns that you want to bring up and make sure you take that in. That's a good way to communicate with the doctor. Also, when you go in, make sure that the doctor understands that 
if there's a new symptom, don't let them dismiss what you're seeing because you are there with that person every day. And don't let a doctor tell you, well, they're 89, they're 90, there's whatever age. What do you expect? Age and illness don't go together, and there's no correlation. So if somebody, because as the joke goes, guy goes to the doctor and he says, oh, this knee is really, really bad. The doctor goes, what do you expect? You know, you're 87 years old. He goes, this knee is working just fine. Don't, it has nothing to do with age. So make sure you learn how to communicate with your doctor. And if you need more tips, we have great tip sheets. You can call us. We can give you some tip sheets on how to communicate with your doctor. You also be, be open to using any kind of technologies. And when I use the word technologies, I don't mean computers and things like that. It's more like being creative. So if you're having trouble dressing your relative because, you know, because of all the buttons and the shoes and trying to think about things that have straps and their special clothing that's easier to put on. So it's all right to change the clothing. It's all right to use Velcro. You don't have to dress the same way. There are things that can help, like if you're worried about them turning on the stove. Well, guess what? The same things that you use for child protection will work for an adult. So be creative. That's what I call technologies. But it's um, sometimes we have to be more creative. And I always, if you kind of go into the department for child-proofing a home, if you're concerned about someone who has memory problems and you don't, you know, you're worried about them pulling a cabinet or tipping something over, um, I have those, that's, there's that kind of tape that you can put on the bottom of things that maybe could fall over but it makes it come off easy, you can put that throughout the whole house and keep things kind of steady and you don't have to worry about things tipping over. So be creative and talk to other people about what you can do with technology. Of course, the Internet can really be your friend. And if you have a phone and you can go on to the Internet in any way, shape, or form, the easiest way to find something is to ask a question. So when it says search, you don't have to search for a specific thing. Search whatever your question is. How do I help my relative not fall? Put that down as a question. That will give you an answer. How do I find places so that I can relax? What are ways for me to meditate? Put those questions in there, and that's how you get your answers. So, Because sometimes we always think, oh, I have to know exactly what I'm looking for when I'm going on. Actually, the Internet is, works much better if you just type in what you're thinking as a question. You'll find things a lot easier. Watch out for signs of depression. That means for you, depression is not the same as just temporary sadness or loneliness. This is really when you find that you, for days and days on ends, if not weeks, you have no energy, you don't find things as interesting, you don't have an interest or pleasure, you can't have any kind of pleasurable activities. If you start feeling depressed, you need to reach out for help. There are, you, know, you can reach out for services and someone else to talk to because depression is something that if you're feeling lack of energy and all of that, you're also not being able to be a good caregiver, but you're also impacting your own health. So there are a lot of things many times, and 
almost half of people who are doing caregiving find that they get depressed at some point during their caregiving. So it's not, you know, it's not a lack of, uh, it's not a personality defect. It's just the nature of trying to cope over and over with uh, something that's very hard. So it's very common. There's nothing, you know, to be ashamed of, but it is good. It's not something that you can do by yourself. You do, it is good to reach out for help. Number five, we know that it's really hard work to be a caregiver, so you have to take a break. And I think I've said that almost through every number here, and I just can't emphasize enough. And that word is called respite. It means to take a break. And that doesn't mean that you take, you know, three or four months off. A break can be as short as two minutes of learning to do deep breathing or learning to how to just uh, take your muscles and kind of roll, roll around your shoulders a little to relax your body. Anything but. The key thing to respite is that you take your mind and you're not concentrating on your caregiving, that you focus on you. That is respite. So being able to look and maybe, you know, one of the things that people are finding more and the research is showing is if you notice there are a lot of adult coloring books. How many people have seen those adult coloring books? It's very popular now, and the reason is because research shows if you actually just concentrate on coloring, that it actually it focuses your mind so that you relax and you get respite. And that's why people are turning to adult coloring. The same thing for journaling, just sitting down and writing stuff. That takes your mind away. But you can take your mind away with what else? A reading, music, a book. Staring out the window, watching your neighbors. It could be respite. You can make up all kinds of stories about neighbors. You can mowing the lawn, walking your dog, and enjoying the environment. Not thinking of walking the dog as a task, but as a time to get out and breathe the air, look at whatever's in your neighborhood. Make it a respite time. When you get away from caregiving, think of it as respite. So that's our respite. That's number um, five. Number, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, five. Six is organize your medical information. So you're going to the doctor, you have your three things, but even before that, in your house, as a caregiver, sometimes if there are emergencies or every time somebody comes to the house and they're asking, you know, the same medical questions, just put it all in one place. I know for my parents, I had a giant envelope, and I made copies of their Social Security card, their Medicare card, and I just had a basic sheet that had name, birth date, and I had 10 copies hung up by my front door, and all I had to do was pull out the copy every time there was a medical emergency. I didn't have to look around for any of those things because they don't need the originals. You just need to have it all in one place. And I took, when I went into the emergency room, I'd have five copies and I'd just hand them out every to every person in the thing and it had basic information including things like my dad has memory problems so he'll tell you everything is okay. Please talk to me. I put that on the note, and I had five copies of that to hand out. 
It makes your life easier. Not a disrespect for my dad, but he did have memory problems, and he always said, oh, everything's fine. They'd ask him, can you cook for yourself? Of course I can. He hadn't cooked in 10 years. Okay, so I know we're getting close, and I have like two minutes. Um, and that's the same thing for medical and for legal. Just have everything in one place, and you do need to have make sure that you've done a power, power of attorney, that you've had um, your will, will for yourself. You should have something that identifies you as a caregiver so that if you're away and your relative is somewhere else, if you got sick or something, you should be having a bracelet for yourself saying, I am a family caregiver and caring for somebody who is back home. And so that they people know that you're a caregiver because we forget that we usually get a bracelet for our relative but not necessarily for us. Give yourself credit. So the last thing is, is you have to give yourself credit for everything that you do as a family caregiver because this is something that we do generally. Sometimes we, nobody, you know, it's like you got tag, you're it, or we've made that just heart decision. But once you've had, once you become a caregiver, anything you do is you're always doing the best with what you have, the information at that time. So, it's good. It's a time to give yourself, and you need to give yourself credit. Give your, Everybody reach back. Give yourself a pat on the back. You're doing the best you can with the information you have, and you're doing very well. So that's my 10 tips. I'm going to hand this out to everybody. And I know that there's the uh, program. There's a, something going on for a wrap-up. But I want to thank everyone. Our booth is the USC Family Caregiver Support Center. It is, um, no, I, 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 did I give out the cards? Oh, here's our cards with our information. You have a card already. Yes, but the nice thing about our program is you don't come to our program. All you really have to do is call the phone number or go online. It is so important. It's one 800 Five four zero four 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 two. That's all you really need to do because everything is with a phone call, and then we come to your home or you talk on the phone. So it doesn't matter really where you're located. It's because everything is starts with the phone call. So one eight hundred five four zero four 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 two. And I apologize that the email. I think if um, it's, oh, that number's right, too, the 1-855 number. Yeah, there's, so there's a phone number on there. I remember the 800 better, so I always give that one, but the phone number on there is, also, is absolutely a toll-free number, too, on the little card, on the back of the card. So 1-800-540-4442, yes. So there's a card. Thank you, everybody, for listening to me today, and I hope you give yourself a break. Thank you.